passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status, and Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah. He's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Great Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 177 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian D. Felice, joined once again by Scott McLaughlin. The Bruins and the Canadians played at the Garden tonight. Bruins win 4 to 2, 55th win of the year. Bruins are now 55. Wait, did you say the Canadians were at TD Garden? They're allowed to do that still? They're, they're allowed to do that, Scott, I, I, apparently. And, you know, after the game, I'm thinking to myself, it's like, that's it. Like, so an entire hockey season goes by where the, the Montreal Canadiens come to Boston once. I'm sorry. Like, ah, they got to they, they gotta, they gotta fix that. They got to add another division yeah. game. It's divisional game. There's got to be four divisional games at least. It's got to be two and two at the very least. And if that means, you know, if the way to do it is some Western Conference teams you only face once a year, then so be it. Like, I think I looked at this before, and there's a way you can do it where, like, you'll play, you can add the extra game in the division, play one Western Conference division twice each, one once each. And so it's like, okay, so then, you know, everyone's like, oh, but you want to see Connor McDavid every year. So you'll see Connor McDavid in your building two out of every three years. Like, it's fine. I think everyone will survive. 
most Bruins fans couldn't even watch Connor McDavid this year because it was buried on ESPN Plus. So, yeah, and also it's like it's just for for one reason or another, like for two teams that haven't really played uh, a lot at all of the last couple of calendar years, dating back to really the initial COVID break. Um, like there was actually some there was some piss and vinegar in this game. Like there there was some disdain, which like you know you have two teams on opposite ends of the standings and they haven't played a lot as i just mentioned and it's and there's 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 good fight and it's just like you're you're scratching your head like not only did it take until the final dozen games of the year for montreal to come to boston but it's like and that's it now i do think they play maybe one more time in montreal but it's just like how do you how do you have how do you have what was once one of the greatest rivalries across all major North American sports. And it's like, they come to Boston once and they go to Montreal. It's just, it's not, I don't like it. And to your point, there's a way that they can fix that. Um, if you're, if you're, if you're a Bruins fan and, and, and the Seattle crack and come to Boston, as much as Montreal Canadians do, there's, there's a problem. They got to fix that. So, yeah. And, and the, the second game in Montreal. And so the third meeting of the season is the final game of the season, which potentially completely meaningless for everyone you could have you know the providence bruins essentially playing in that game um now it could mean something if the bruins are you know win that and they get the break the canadians wins record like that you know that could be interesting especially the media up there they'll make a big deal out of that but uh if that's not on the line then then the third meeting between them is totally meaningless yeah and I don't know. It's just uh, the the Bruins Canadians rivalry just isn't what it has been. And I I really think a lot of it, you have you have the NHL scheduling to blame for a lot of it because it's like you know this year even if they only played three times, but they played three times in October November. It's like all right, well at least you have like three meaningful games early on. Both teams are still trying to you know establish themselves in the but. The Bruins and the Canadians didn't play the first game until against each other. It's like February or maybe like late yeah. January. And it's like at that point, both teams are already where they are now, essentially, uh, as far as like in the standings, where they were in the standings. And then, yeah, and then and then you, you wait till the final three weeks of the season to play their last two games. It's just like, like in what world does that make any sense to put, have the Bruins and Canadians played when they made them play? Yeah, and like you think of this – what is the NHL's reasoning for the divisional playoff format? It's to create rivalries, right? Yeah. That's what they want. So why do they not take that same approach for the regular season? Like what is more likely to create rivalries? You know, okay. You probably face the lightning and, and Maple Leafs every year in the playoffs. All right. But you're not creating rivalries with anyone else in the division or actually have you know, meaningful division games, see those teams more often um, in the regular season. Like to me, that's what creates rivalries. And that's what, that's what draws people in as well. Like though, you know, the Western conference games, like we mentioned, it's like, those are the games that I know, you know, just talking to friends, family that like, they don't really care about unless it's a Connor McDavid, but you throw, you know, Maple Leafs Habs on the schedule all right, like people, people are like, oh yeah, okay, that's you know that's a game, like that's something I'll make a point to watch. Um, 
so yeah, it's it's totally backwards. Like they're doing, you know, one approach in the playoffs, and then for whatever reason in the regular season, when you probably need something to draw more eyeballs, they get away from it. Like, you know, for for years it was like NBC would try to build you know rivalry night, like Wednesday night games. And it's like, so you're making rivalry night this like huge marketing initiative, and yet you don't actually have as many rivalry games. Like it's so, it's so backwards anyways. Yeah. I mean, nothing gets my rocks off more than Minnesota wild at the garden against the Bruins or the national predators when, you know, there could be some, you know, more original six games, but whatever. Um, obviously not the, the most positive note to start off the podcast, but it, it is, it is like, it's just very annoying. It's, it's, I think the NHL kind of sucks at marketing its game. And I think, you know, marquee matchups, even if it's not, because again, like going into the year, you don't know that the Bruins are going to go on this miraculous run. You don't know that the Canadians are going to be in the fight for Bedard. Like both these teams could have been fighting for a wild card spot, and it's just like, I mean, I guess if that were the case at the end of the season, it would actually mean something. But whatever. Um, so this game in particular, Scott, um, Tyler Bertuzzi scores his first goal as a Bruin officially. We talked about this last episode. He's had some some bad puck luck, some goals that didn't count. Uh, this was good puck luck. It, it was a shot from behind the goal line that kind of deflected off a defender and in, and and somehow didn't get didn't draw a minor penalty for high sticking on that play. Um, it was pretty evident by yeah literally anybody in the building who watched the game except for the referees. And this is not me just trying to bash the refs. It's this is literally like the, you're watching the play. The guy like this happened in front of the net from the guy who just had the puck. Um, and you know, if people want to say, well, that he was high sticked afterwards, I mean, penalties are called after the whistle all the time. Um, so the Bruins should have gone on a power play after that first goal, but they didn't either way. Bertuzzi puts the Bruins on the board one, nothing. And I thought all night had some good jump. And again, just looking more and more confident, Scott, not to repeat a similar topic. We talked to a last episode, but again, he it's, it's worth talking about. He looks, he looked more comfortable tonight than I thought he looked at any game prior to tonight as a Bruin. Yeah. He's, definitely getting there um and you know even though it's like a some unfortunate goal it's same place we've seen him a bunch which is behind the net right around the net he's throwing the puck to the front of the net like he pretty consistently seems to get into dangerous areas and get pucks into dangerous areas and it's like yeah okay that's a a lucky bounce off the stick you know defender's stick past the goalie but you create that by being in that position. You know, when you, when you're putting pucks into dangerous areas, things can happen. Like that's, you know, if you're just throwing that pass, uh, you know, back to the point or whatever, and it gets deflected, then it's just bouncing harmlessly away. It's the fact that he is putting it towards the front. So, um, you know, that's something that we've seen him do pretty consistently. So nice to see him get rewarded for it. He has had, some bad puck luck, particularly when it comes to go- scoring goals. Um, but yeah, he, he, he does, he does look more comfortable. I thought he was already looking more comfortable. I didn't think he necessarily needed the goal. Um, but that's still like a, you know, good monkey to get off your back is that first goal with your new team, because the longer that drags on, the more, you know, can kind of get in your head a little or whatever. So um you know, after the game, like, because we've noticed before now tonight, maybe wasn't a great example. Cause I think he only had that, I think 
or actually no, he had three shots on goal. Okay. So that's a couple more. That's more than I thought. Um, you know, I've talked about how like he's been shooting it more and I asked him, you know, if that's kind of been like a conscious effort to do that, or if he's just getting to better positions where he, you know, has better shots. And he says like a little bit of both, like he's, he's finding the areas where he needs to be for his line mates and getting more comfortable there, which naturally leads to more shots. And he said like, and he's also looking to shoot more. Like he did feel like, you know, he was just trying to fit in and, you know, maybe set up his teammates more early on. So yeah, that kind of like that all speaks to it. It's the, you know, being more comfortable taking your shots and, you know, knowing that like, that's what's good for the team. And, you know, you don't have to be deferring to your line mates. And then also just find those open areas where Charlie Coyle likes to get the puck to where Trent Frederick likes to get the puck to like just learning his line mates. And he even, he bounced around a little bit in this game too, because obviously uh, we'll get to this, but AJ Greer got ejected in the first period. So there was a a lot of shuffling after that, especially at the left wing spot. Um, So he had some shifts on the fourth line on the second line. He was even with Marchand and Bergeron um, at least once or twice that I saw. So, you know, bouncing around, but in particular getting comfortable uh, with Coyle and Frederick. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Yeah, I mean, obviously he was a uh, he was a over the top macho man, Randy Savage elbow drop from the top rope type move for the Bruins at the deadline, and we know they were able to do so because a couple of guys, Taylor Hall and Nick Foligno, went on went on a injured reserve. But Tyler Bertuzzi was was a absolute massive big fish get that nobody really anticipated was going to be moving on at the trade deadline. So. It, you come in with those expectations as somebody who's going to really help this team be the, be the true front runner to win the cup um, for him to be that player. He needs confidence. And, and as you mentioned, I think he was playing with confidence, but I just think that, and, and he was looking more comfortable, but there's no doubt that actually having one go in, it, it, it does make a difference. It really does because it's not so much that I'm worried about him having confidence you know, next game or the game after, but you don't want him going into the playoffs, not having scored that goal. Um, just because it, I do think it eventually becomes a bit of a burden on their shoulders. If they, if so he got that out of the way, so that's great. Um, and I, I just think that he, I'm really, really excited to see 
what this team's going to look like when, when Taylor Hall's um, back on the ice because just talk about a never-ending surge of, of, of offense and depth. Like, you'll, you'll have Marshan, Bergeron, and DeBrusque, and then Krejci, Pasternak, and Zaka, and then Coyle, Hall, and Bertuzzi. It's like, wow. It's like, like you know, team, opposition's heads are going to be spinning. I mean, and and whatnot. So, uh, you know, good for him to get to get to get his his first goals of Bruin officially. Um, I just mentioned uh, Bergeron, Martian, and DeBrusque. DeBrusque gave the Bruins a two nothing lead, and he has goals in four straight. So, Scott, I think you talked about on our last recording how he came out of the gates firing when he came back from injury. Um, mainly off adrenaline and just excitement and then kind of started skating in mud a little bit, trying to catch his wind and whatnot, but goals in four straight heading into the playoffs. Seems like he is, he's got his wind back, his conditioning back to where it needs to be as, as they enter, uh, enter into, into April here soon. Yeah. I think this has been like so encouraging to see the way that DeBrusque, comes back from stuff or, or just bounces back um, because, you know, in the in past years, you would see him hit a little bit of a lull or, you know, cool down a little bit. And then it would just drag on and drag on. And this year, even late last season, when he hits a little bit of a lull, it's like he just seems so much more confident that he's going to be able to pull out of it. And then he actually does pull out of it. And, yeah, this this looks like the same Jake DeBrusque we saw basically right up until his injury. Like this is the DeBrusque who is not only a, a fit in your top six on your top line, um, you know, or a complimentary piece, but a guy who can help drive play in a top line role. And, you know, a couple times tonight, and especially on that goal, like you just see that burst where, you know, he sees a little bit of an opening and he takes it and, you know, two Canadians defenders are crashing into each other behind him. Um, and then his finishing in close this season has been excellent. Like when he's coming, when he gets by those D it's like, I expect him to bury it. And he's always been, you know, a pretty good finisher, but this year it just looks like he really has confidence. We've seen him, you know, even like plays in close on the power play. And even when he gets denied, um, like I think, I think it was tonight, right? There's another chance he got behind the D and I think um, Allen made a blocker save and like it, it wasn't an easy save though. Like he needed to be in good position and have like a quick blocker reaction. And it's like, that's, you know, DeBrusque, like having that confidence of knowing where he's going and having like an accurate hard finish um but yeah that that goal was really nice like that was just the again like you you see his his skating is fully back where um he gets that little bit of an opening and like the the canadians defenders just don't have a chance it's like the the only thing they could have done is tripped him and taken the penalty other than that he's behind them and gone. Yeah. And what I like about that play too, is, is that he's attacking the middle of the ice. Like, I think 
when he was struggling a couple of years ago in particular, it was he was very much on the perimeter. He wasn't he wasn't going to the dangerous areas. He wasn't challenging defensemen with his speed and backing them off. And um, it just it just didn't lead to success. And 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 there were some other reasons for his his slumping, I guess, too back in the day. But when you see him attack in the middle of the ice, and by the way, he split he split uh, Savard. What, what, what's Savard's first name again? Uh, with uh, Montreal, David Savard. Savard, you know, he's a big boy and, and uh, Joel Edmondson's a big guy too. And like, you know, it's not, it's not probably something that you look at those two defensemen. You like, I, I want to split those two guys because it's, you know, they're, they're big and they're physical. Um, but he, but he, he understood that he has, he has the speed to do so. And he, and he, and he did, and he attacked. And then you talk about the finish down low. I mean, yeah, he's, he's been a, he's always been a good finisher there. I mean, he's, Really, I, I'm. I wonder what his career percentage in the shootout is because he. I feel like he's like got to be a 45, 50 percent guy in the shootout over his career, maybe more. Um, and yeah, he always, whether whether he, if he's coming down on the left side, he always just has that like that floater that he does top left, and then if he's coming on the right side, he does the the quick you know backhand forehand snapshot as he's cutting across the left side of the crease with momentum. So he he definitely has his go to moves and and. And I'm sure goalies kind of know his tendency, but they just can't stop it, which is, you know, shows how much confidence he has in his abilities there. So that's that's great. Um, so so they take a two nothing lead, and then um, and what I'm about to mention may have happened when it was scoreless or one nothing or maybe two nothing. I don't really remember, but there was a point in the game where Pitlick on Montreal, he. Uh, he was able to catch Bergeron with a with a clear interference call that that went uncalled, and the Bruins kind of responded to that. And um, Marshan took a penalty, and later in the period, AJ Greer, as you alluded to earlier, uh, kind of cross checked um, Mike Hoffman in the face, which we think he'll see supplementary discipline for. But it gave the Canadians a five minute power play, and they were able to claw back into the game, make it two to one. Yeah, I thought, you know, Bruins for a while were, I think, responding to the physicality and, and you know, Canadians are clearly trying to get under their skin and Bruins were responding the right way, you know, at first where, yeah, Martian's going after, um, why did I just blank on, on who hit Bergeron? Um, it was Pitlick. Yeah, yeah, Pitlick. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like that. That's exactly what you want to do. Like that's now. It was interesting because, like, I think it seemed like Pitlick wanted to like, at least give Bergeron a bump, but he like he didn't deck him. You know, I, I don't know if he like it fully intended to hit him as hard as he did, but it obviously he did make pretty solid contact. So it doesn't really for the Bruins. It doesn't matter what his intentions were. Um yeah, Martian goes right after him. Like, that's what you want to see. You know, I tweeted at the time, like, that's the kind of penalty that guys love killing. Like, you know, Bench is thrilled to to go out and try to kill that one. And it ends up only lasting like 24 seconds because then Montreal takes the penalty anyways. Um, then Swayman gets snowed late um, and McAvoy comes in and that leads to another scrum. Swayman lands a punch. I was thinking like Swayman 
Swayman had a look like he wanted to, he wanted a goalie fight. Cause even like after the Bergeron one, like he came out to center ice and he was like looking over and he said after the game, he was like, yeah, like Jake Allen kind of gave him a look and he was like, is this like, is this really going to happen? Am I going to do this? And it, it didn't, didn't happen, but um, yeah. So like, that was good. Like that's sticking up for teammates. That's, you know, whatever dragging guys down, you know, tag them to the ice. And then, yeah, Greer, Greer takes it too far. Um, you know, he gets, yeah, he gets like a little bit of a slash there and, but then he responds with a cross check to the face. And it's like, it, you know, Mon- Jim Montgomery tried to say like after the game, he's like, yeah, I think his stick just rode up a little. And it's like, uh, I don't know. That was kind of a pretty direct shot. Like, I don't I don't know that he was really aiming anywhere else. Um, and yeah, and but then like Montgomery did say, you know, it's like, yeah, that's a learning moment. You know, we'll talk to him. We'll be like, hey, you gotta keep it in check a little bit, um, because obviously you can't take a penalty like that in the playoffs. And for a guy like Greer, where it's, hey, when when everyone's healthy, like his spots already in jeopardy, his playing time's already in jeopardy. You know, you can't. You can't be giving coaches a reason to potentially not trust you, you know, if if you're gonna react that way when things get heated. Um I think Greer for the most part this year has done a good job of walking up to the line and not crossing it. Like he's generally been a good kind of physical and um agitator and responding the right way. Obviously, this was one case where he just went too far, got, you know, whatever, a little too emotional, a little too heated. And uh, yeah, you know, gives them a five minute power play. They score once had a couple other chances, but Bruins managed to, you know, hold on to the lead through that. I think, I think he obviously was feeling some, some type of way because of who the Canadians targeted. If you go near Patrice Bergeron and, and, and the Bruins feel like it's a, a non-hockey play or, or, or a clear penalty or, or targeting of their captain, they're going to, they're going to, it's going to get under their skin a little bit more. So I think if you're, if you're a, a playoff opponent for the Bruins at any point this year, I think that's kind of what you, it's probably what you're going to want to draw up is like, look, make sure you play their top guys hard and, 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 you know, see if you can get the, the rest of the team, the rest of the Wolf Pack kind of off their game and, and try to chase around for retribution. So I think to the point you're making about not, you know, getting out of the way now and learning from it as opposed to the playoffs, I think the Bruins would be good to remember that. Like, look, it's guys aren't going to stop taking runs at Bergeron uh, or Marshand or Pasternak in the playoffs or McAvoy and, that's what playoff hockey is. So when they do do that against the Bruins, they their 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 temperament and their composure is going to have to come into play and their discipline. So, um, in particular, with a younger guy like Greer, who's it's kind of his first trip around the sun as far as a a, a full time member of an NHL team going to a playoff run. So, um, you know, it didn't cost the Bruins in this game. It, potentially against like a Toronto or a Tampa Bay in second round it, or whoever they play in the first round. It could, it could, it could come back to bite them in the ass too. So lesson learned. Um, yeah. yeah. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey sports. 
With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. I also, like, I, I felt like that kind of put out some of the fire of the game, too, where, you know, it seemed like the Bruins were feeding off the emotion well in the most of the first period. And it had the, they get up to nothing. And like, it had the feel of a game where there, it had, it had the feel of like a poke the bear game where it was like, Oh, really? Like you want to do this to us? All right. Here's a six, nothing beat down Montreal. And then like the Greer thing happens and it's like everyone on both sides was kind of like, all right, that's far enough. And I thought kind of temperature cooled off a bit after that. And it seemed like the Bruins game cooled off a bit after that. And I felt like, you know, that, that was sort of what allowed Montreal to hang around is like, it seemed like they, that drive that they had in that first period where they looked, you know, almost possessed, like as a team, like we're going to rally around everything. It's, it felt like that sort of dissipated as the game went on. And, you know, I think they, their play sort of matched um, that energy leaving the game where they, they were pretty flat the rest of the game. They, they managed to close it out and, you know, um, I didn't think they played poorly in the third period. Like it was a perfectly fine sort of defensive period, take care of business, get the two points. But, you know, they, they certainly didn't keep their foot on the gas by any means. No, no, they certainly didn't. I think that's that's a good point you raised. I did I did sense that too. The game did kind of slow down after that career penalty because that's what happens when you have a five minute penalty and then you also have an intermission in between and and whatever. It just yeah, yeah. It, it was it did have the makings of a pretty pretty intense game and a pretty a game where you kind of thought maybe this will bring back a little bit of that Bruins Montreal hatred for for next year and 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 a couple afterwards with some of these young players on both sides, but. Yeah, it kind of it, it it did kind of turn into a bit of a snooze fest if I'm if I'm being honest. The second half of that game and and whatnot. But one thing that kept the game entertaining for me at least was the watch for fifty for Pasternak. And the reason that became a, a possibility in the second half of the game is because he gave the Bruins a three to one lead with his 49th goal of the year in the second period. Um, a nice pass from the from the from the right boards from Tyler Bertuzzi, and then Pasternak kind of. As we've seen him do a lot this year, just kind of took that extra second, stepped to the middle, and um, put a wrist shot five hole. And like I said, 49th goal of the year. Would have been nice to see him get 50 at some point. Uh, with The crowd was waiting for it. It would have been nice to get it against Montreal. But I will say, Scott, if he's going to get 50, uh, I, I, it'd be nice if there was a goalie in that. So I, I'm kind of like – if it's between 49 for the year or 50 with an empty net, I'll take 50 with the empty net just to get there. But I'd, I'd like to see him maybe get that 50th goal in a, in a way he's done it for most of the, of his career, which is with a goalie in net. Yeah. Uh, Martian was clearly trying to set him up. Like Martian had a pretty clear shot. You know, there's kind of like one guy between him and the net, but yeah, he, he makes the pass over to Pasternak that really didn't have much of a chance of connecting. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Like, I, I almost feel like Pasternak didn't really say that after the game. He was like, yeah, like it was it was nice of Marshy. And, you know, but then he highlighted, because he was basically asked, like, what does that say about Marshy and as, you know, sort of a leader, unselfish player or whatever. 
And Pasternak like, pretty quickly pivoted to like, well, the the real sign of like what he is as a leader was sticking up for Bergeron. Um, yeah, I, th- I think Pasternak will probably want to score on on an actual goal as well. Um, now Swayman setting him up for a shot at the empty net. I love that. Like they, they, de- they should have just been passing back to him. He, he took two shots at it. wasn't wasn't particularly close, but up by two. Why not? Like he, he wants it. He wants it. He wants to to match Linus there. Um, yeah, that as of that on Pasenak's goal. Again, another one where this time at five on five, we've seen a bunch on the power play where he gets that puck in the left circle, takes that quick step in and just beats the goalie with a quick wrister. Um, this one, five hole on Allen. And, you know, after the game, like, I asked Swayman about it, like, from a goalie's perspective, and he was like, yeah, it's tough because he just, like, totally changes the angle. Like, you're, you know, first you're thinking one-timer, then he doesn't do that. You have to kind of reset. Um, and he he gets a shot off, like, while the goalie's still moving and, and trying to reset. Um, and I also thought it was interesting, like at Pasternak, um, Steve Conrad and I both asked Pasternak like a little bit about it. And he said, like, the reason he started doing it on the power play is that not, not just teams like trying to take away his one timer, but he feels like there's been a trend in the NHL this year of penalty kills getting wider out on the elbows in general, um, and just being closer to him. So, just because of that, like his, the one timer hasn't been there as much. So he's, you know, basically he started doing that because he's like, okay, well, if that defender on the elbow is going to come out further then I'm going to step inside more and change, you know, change the angle. So he's, he scored quite a few goals with that little step inside now. And it keeps, keeps working. And it's like, he's not, you know, stepping in and blasting shots into the top corner. He's like beating goalies, five hole and under the arm because it's just kind of catching them off guard. I feel like he kind of took that page out of Nikita Kucherov's book a little bit. I feel like that's something that I've seen him do over the last few years. I think, I think Pasternak may have, you know, picked that up from another elite goal scorer in the world. So Montreal ended up climbing back within one on a power play goal with Garnet Hathaway in the box. Um, and then, Ultimately, David Krejci was able to give the Bruins a 4-2 lead, and that would be the final score of the game. It was Krejci. It was, I think it was a shot from the point from Clifton and, or shot pass, and Krejci just kind of went forehand back in and tucked it on the left side um, for his 16th of the year, I believe was 16th of the year. Uh, I'm not sure if the Bruins' website is updated through tonight's game. but um, Yeah, it was, it was a 16th. Okay. So he's got 16 goals on the year, 39 assists, 55 points in 65 games. For reference, he has one less point than Patrice Bergeron for third on the team in scoring, but he's also played six less games than Bergeron. So when you're talking about a player who was not in the NHL last year and David Krejci, obviously he was in Czech Republic playing in front of family and friends, and he has one less point in six less games than Patrice Bergeron, who's having another outstanding year and sulky caliber year. I guess, Scott, we haven't really talked about Krejci. We talked about him, but I guess just 
now that we're getting towards the end of the season, I guess we can kind of talk about his season, his regular season in a more of a macro perspective at this point. And just what are your, what are your thoughts on his game this year? Do you think going into the playoffs, he's back up to full speed? I know it kind of sounds like he is right with the point production, but from the eye test, would you say he's back to where he should be and just your thoughts on him this year and his impact on the team? If, if this is his last go around for the Bruins. Yeah, I think, you know, as much mentally as anything, like when we were talking earlier in the season about, um, you know, sometimes he doesn't look quite up to speed. To me, it, it was because he's never been the fastest skater. So to me, it wasn't like, oh my God, he can't keep up or, he, you know, he can't outskate guys or whatever. It was, he seems to just be a little too slow reading plays hanging on to the puck just a little too long. And I, I, that's the part I think is gone now. So that's what tells me that, yeah, he's back up to speed. It's that he is mentally processing the game uh, as quickly as we're used to seeing, which is obviously at a, at a very high level because he is a very smart player who sees the ice, sees plays extremely well. And I think you're seeing that now where it's, you know, every game, it, like there seems to be a play where he'll hold it, or he sees a, you know, sees a lane opening up, or waits for a lane to opening up to open up, and just kind of like that control with the puck and his stick to, um, to not rush anything, but also to protect the puck and not, you know, let someone pick his pocket or catch up to him. Um, that seems to be there. And yeah, it's like, you're right. Like we don't talk about him a ton other than, you know, around like the 1000 game ceremony and, you know, some of that stuff. Um, because it's almost just like quietly really good. It's like that. His line has been their most productive line all season offensively. And obviously Pasternak's a huge reason for that, but so is Krejci. Like it, he, you know, he's in control in the middle and Pasternak's not getting as many great chances as he does if Krejci's off or not playing up to his, his abilities. So, um, yeah, I I think he's in a really good spot heading towards the playoffs. I think he is playing really well. And again, like a lot of those points that he's getting are five on five. He, you know, he's not having a great year on the power play. He's on the second unit. He had a stretch early this year where he, where he went like 20 games without an assist on the power play, which, you know, you're like, wow, that's kind of crazy. Like, crazy is always assisting on everything. Um, he just had a stretch where he had gone, uh, I forget the exact number of games, but it was a long drought of games without a goal in the power play. So, He's doing most of it at five on five and, you know, 80% of NHL games are played at five on five. So that's, that's huge. And, you know, I think I, we touched on this a little on the most recent Sunday skate with the razor. Like, I wonder how teams are going to choose to match up against the Bruins in the playoffs, like which line they're going to prioritize trying to shut down or putting their, best defensive line against because obviously we know like it's always been the, you know, for years it, it's been the perfection line or probably whatever line Bergeron and Marchand were on. And now it's like, I wonder if 
that shifts and they focus on the check line, um, which would obviously now free up Marshan Bergeron and DeBrosk, who, as we just said, they have now found their stride as well. So, um, yeah, good, good luck to opponents trying to decide that, trying to, you know, decide which line you're, you're going to take your chance against with maybe a lesser defensive line. Right. And oh, by the way, as mentioned earlier, then you got a third line with Taylor Hall and Tyler Bertuzzi on it, flanked with <laughs> yeah. uh, Charlie Coyle in the middle. So, I mean, it's really more than a two-line attack. It's a three-line attack. And the fourth line is more than capable, too. But, I, you know, I think if you're an opponent, um, you, I just, with all due respect to Marshan and Bergeron and their careers and what, what those two are capable of, I just feel like if you're an opponent, how can you, with a straight face, not put your top defensive forwards against a 50 plus goal scorer and pass just because like, like how, like how can he not do that? Just saying it out loud just sounds idiotic. And I, and I know, I believe me, I know how dangerous Bergeron and Marshand are. Like I, I've been watching these guys for, you know, almost 20 years for Bergeron and 50, you know, almost 15 for Marshand. I get it. Believe me. Um, but again, you're talking about, Passion not being a 50 plus goal scorer this year, you, you got to kind of keep him at bay. It's just the way that it is. So I do believe that that would open up that Bergeron line for for some um, some optimal uh, matchups, especially at home. So so yeah, um, and you know it's crazy because we talk about we talk about Pavel Zaka and how how much of a pleasant surprise he's been this year and how awesome he's been this year, and you know. He's played six more games in Krejci, and he has seven less points. So it's just like it's just it's a it's a microcosm of Krejci's career in Boston. He's just a silent assassin. He just like he does he's not he doesn't have the best shot, doesn't have the greatest legs, not the most physical guy. I mean, there's tons of guys with great hands, so he's not like the guy with the best hands in the league. I mean, he's a great passer and all that stuff. But like, there's not one thing he does the best. Um, Except maybe think the game. He does probably think the game as well as probably better than probably 95% of the players in the league. But with that said, just his entire career, he's just been, he's just been, he's, he's never, I don't think what, 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 what hurts him, Scott, is I feel like he's never cracked 80, 80 points. So people don't think of him as like a dynamic score because he's never gotten like 80 or 90 but he's just been quietly in the seventies, his whole career, it seems like. So, and, 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 you know, I don't think he'll get there this year, Um, but well, you know, he could, I mean, he could get close to 70. He'd have to, he'd have to get 15 more points in the last, uh, you know, whatever it is, 11 games, but in all likelihood, he'll probably finish with like, you know, probably around 65 points this year. But um, yeah, so I, I echo everything you said. He's, he's great. He's allowed the Bruins um, to slide everybody into into appropriate locations, and in honestly, he's a lot. Krejci's presence has allowed the Bruins to slide guys uh, down the lineup when they should be playing up in the lineup, like Taylor Hall and Bertuzzi, like we talked about. Those guys are not third line players in the NHL, but they are in this current roster and and whatnot. And obviously, Zaka has benefited from from Krejci and, and Pashnak and that, 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 that countryman connection that those guys have is, you know, it's huge. So anyway, we kind of rambled on Krejci for a little bit there. Um, I'm ch- there was a question I wanted to ask you, Scott. I think it was, 
based on a comment Martian made, I think after practice yesterday or today, and he made a comment how the Bruins are very cognizant of making sure they finish playing the season strong because chances are they'll be playing a wild, well, they're going to be playing a wild card team, but chances are that wild card team has been playing playoff hockey for, for quite some time now to solidify their playoff spot. And um, that's why in the first round in particular, sometimes you see upsets because the lower seed is in playing higher stake hockey because the ty- the higher seed has kind of been solidified in their, in their place. So is that something, even though the Bruins are aware of that, being a possibility of letting their game slip and whatnot or not letting their game slip. Like, does it concern you that they're cognizant of it yet? It still kind of seems to be how they're playing. Like just kind of like lackadaisical, just waiting to get to the finish line to actually to start the playoffs. I'm not yet. I would say if they're, if we still see some of this, like for three of the final five games of the regular season or something, then I'd be like, okay, that's not ideal. Um, but I, I kind of thought a couple of weeks ago, and I wonder like if Jim Montgomery sort of regrets saying this. I felt like he like put a timeline on when they have to turn it back on because he was asked, it was like after the trade deadline, he was asked, you know, does it really feel like the stretch run now where it's a you know sprint to the finish? And he was like, and he I'm paraphrasing, but he said, no, it, it, not really. Like, it doesn't really feel like that yet. And he, he picked a date. He picked five games to go April 6th when they return from uh, a weekend back-to-back. They play Pittsburgh and St. Louis. And then they have three days off before they play Toronto on Thursday, April 6th. They have five games left at that point. He said he thinks that is when it'll really feel like, all right, this is the final push. It's, you know, time to go. And I almost, like, I thought of it, I thought of it a little at the time and how they've played and kind of gone a little in and out since sort of, I feel like it almost confirms, like, I just wonder if, you know, did the players hear that? And now in like their mind, not that they consciously thought like, all right, we'll cruise until April 6th and, you know, then we'll give it our all. Like, I don't, you know, I don't think that's like a conscious thing that they're doing, but I like, I think it's kind of human nature for that to maybe seep in a little. Um, So, you know, but I, I think the encouraging thing is though, that because they're cognizant of it and because they know it's like, important to still play well, have good habits. Don't let, you know, bad habits seep in all that. Like, I think that's why they're able to respond mid road trip and get going again. And it's why, you know, if they have another slip up of a couple games here sometime soon, like I trust that they're going to get out of it and get back to playing how they have to play in relatively quickly quick fashion um you know i've made this comparison before but like we saw with the celtics before and starting like a little before and then after the all-star break like they their game really slipped and arguably they still haven't gotten back like as we sit here now they had a 
good end to their road trip in Sacramento. But like the Celtics, their quote unquote malaise, if you want to use that word, has lasted like a really long time now to the point where it's like legitimately concerning. Whereas with the Bruins, I think they seem to be able to pull out of it quicker and know that like, again, like they had that team meeting on a Thursday in Winnipeg and it's like, okay, four games is enough. Like screw that. We're, we're getting back to playing how we have to play. Right. And I think like, if you're looking at the first round, the Bruins don't have to be worried, worried about Pittsburgh or the Islanders beating the Bruins. They have to be worried about the Bruins beating the Bruins, because if you go into the first round and you're playing sloppy hockey and, you know, if you think about the playoffs from a step back, you say to yourself, I can't see anybody beating the Bruins four times in seven games. I just can't, especially in the first round. But when you break it down and you start to think about it one step at a time, like if the Bruins are struggling going into the playoffs and they're just not playing the way that they're capable of, and you lose the first two games at home, say, because you're because because you're not ready to go. And then you got to go on the road and you're down a couple of games and you're starting to hold the sticks, grip the sticks a little too tight. And you're feeling the pressure from the outside noise. It's like, Oh crap. Like uh, now they got to lose only two more games and, and it's, and they got to win. They got to win four or five. And my point is as, as impossible as it seems that the Bruins would have about in the first round or like, if you aren't ready to go, things happen fast and momentum is real and whatnot. So they they will be ready to go. I have no doubt. I'm just saying, like, this is why it's important to this is why it can be a challenge. I mean, look, like, do you think do you think that Tampa Bay lost to Columbus just just because Columbus was better? No. And and I'm not comparing the Bruins to, this, to that lightning team. But what happened was you had a lightning team that hadn't played competitive hockey in a month and a half, probably two months because they just, they, they, they were already solidified in their spot and, and they weren't as desperate as Columbus and, and it just, they weren't playing, they weren't ready to play playoff style hockey like Columbus had been going to that series. So the Bruins got to, they got to, they got to play with desperation from the jump round one game one. And I feel like they got to, they got to, they got to trick their minds in the final few games of this regular season and, and into thinking that they're playing something for something. And cause, cause you want to play desperate hockey before you actually need to be playing desperate hockey. That's, that's just, you don't want to be down two games to none, like from the start, play on your toes and understand that the regular season happened and it was great, but everybody starts back at zero, zero. The only difference is you have home ice and other teams don't, but in hockey, home ice doesn't really mean that much because there's so much parity and whatnot. So um, I'm not concerned about the Bruins. They're, they'll be fine. I'm just saying, like, if we're speculating about what could be a danger for this team because everything is going so well for them, and even when they don't play great, they still find ways to win, um, which is a good sign. Ultimately, I think they have too much talent and depth, and that will overcome um, – any slow starts that they have before they get going, but I'm hoping that they don't even have to have a slow start, that they can just hit the ground running and and play the way that they're capable of playing because I don't think there's a team as talented nor as deep as this Bruins team this year. I really don't. So uh, the expectations are sky high. They've set that bar, um, and, there's, and, and there really is – there's no excuses for this team to not – 
to not at least go, I mean, I want to say four rounds and win it, but at least three rounds. And, um, you know, obviously anything can happen. Like one of your top guys can go down and for the whole playoffs and that changes things. But as things stand today with their roster, as it's going to be healthy, this Bruins team, they have no excuse not to, not to take care of business. They're better than everybody else and they have their deeper and they have a lot of intangibles that are desirable too for a playoff team that other teams don't have. They literally have everything and they have a passionate fan base to be an effective home crowd too. So again, not to, not to keep mounting the pressure, but it's, it's the pressure because it's the bar that they've set for themselves and, and whatnot. So I don't know if you had any closing thoughts on, on my rambling there, Scott, but, um, no, you I'm ready for the playoffs. I just want to see this team in yeah. action. You did touch on on one thing that I'm going to be a little interested in, which is the the playoff crowd. Which, yes, is is always awesome. But I wonder, like, if demand's going to be so high, if resale prices are going to be so because we've seen this a couple times in the regular season, like that Bruins Rangers game right after the trade deadline, prices were for tickets were crazy and that wasn't really a great crowd. Like now it was a Saturday afternoon. So that's a little weird too, but like that was kind of a quieter crowd. And I like, I wonder if, you know, a lot of diehards are going to get priced out in the playoffs. If everyone's just, you know, everyone who has money wants is, Hey, I want to go see the historic Bruins. Like, it's it's crossed my mind a couple times. So um, I think Boston fans would generally rise to the occasion, no matter what. Even if you know some some of the diehards are, are kind of left behind and um, unfortunately can't afford to be there, but it's crossed my mind. Like, I feel like it could be a little bit more of a of a white collar crowd than than usual. Uh, well, I mean, you know what, Scott, write the headline now. I think you get some clicks <laughs> if you had some sort of article about how the Bruins fans are going to be great in the playoffs this year. That, that, that'd get people uh, talking now. No, but it, like my, my point is like not even, it's not even necessarily, they're Bruins fans, but not, you know, the diehards, I guess is what I'm getting at. Are you saying, but... are you saying bandwagoners who can afford to go yeah. $3,000 yeah, pre- for Pretty much, ticket? Yes. Yeah, well, unfortunately, that's the way of the world these days. It's, um, I mean, I don't know what the ticket price will be going for the playoffs, but I, it, yeah, it does suck. Um, but you know, whoever whoever is uh, fortunate enough to go to these playoff games, um, hopefully they make the noise. I know Scott's gonna be throwing popcorn at the play at the opposition <laughs> the ninth floor, so um, we have that going for us at least. You know. Might be a suspension. Might 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 have to dip into your pockets a little bit, but whatever. Yeah, well, uh, I don't know. We'll have to find. We'll find like a skate pod sponsor. You know, maybe throw some money in. So very good. All right, so we'll we'll uh, that should do it for this episode. We will um, be back Sunday, Scott. Who are they playing on Sunday? The Bruins, Carolina. Okay, that. Right. So I think I think Saturday against Tampa. I feel like will be a good game and. Sunday in Carolina to me is like the perfect load management game because it's a one, it's a one day trip. It's very weird scheduling. It's down and back. 
Like a back to back, they just fly down to Carolina and fly back that night. And so that to me is like perfect. Like, all right, Patrice Bergeron, you you don't have to make you know you don't have to take these two flights for you know, for this game. This is this is your rest game. Maybe it's Charlie McAvoy's rest game. Like, I I could see that um, where this is one of the ones where like a couple heavy hitters actually sit. Which, you know, you're not really getting a massive uh, look at the two teams at full strength if that's the case, which I guess we'd have to wait for the conference finals potentially to see that. We all we talked about last week how Sveshnikov is done for the year for Carolina. Um, I, I don't know about you, Scott. That, that really kind of has uh, affected my power rankings in the East in the playoffs. I, I, I do think that Carolina's a offensively challenged team and you take away their arguably best offensive player and certainly power forward. Mm, I just think it might be too tough for them to overcome offensively. So um, I, you know, whatever, maybe, maybe they still, maybe they shut me up and they, they prove me wrong, but I, I, I'm kind of looking at maybe the Rangers or, or maybe New Jersey. Um, yeah. And I, I, I yeah, I still don't fully trust Carolina's goaltending either. Now, they give up so few good chances that they can still win a bunch of low-scoring games even without, you know, elite goaltending. But I do feel like that, you know, that might cost them at some point. Um, yeah, I mean, I like the Devils. Like, they never fell off, and then they got Timo Meyer. That's just a straight-up really good team. Uh, and the Rangers have started turning it on. Like, you know, we talked about how they were struggling a little bit after the deadline and, you know, where they're almost too many mouths to feed with Tarasenko and Kane coming in. Well, it seems like they've found their stride and uh, have been playing some really good hockey. They've had a couple just total blowout wins where that the offensive firepower that everyone's waiting for has shown up. So um, they might be, you know, starting to click at just the right time as well. Very good. Scott, do you have any closing thoughts before we go? Uh, before we go? Nope. All good. All right. I am all good as well. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you on Sunday.